book of Revelation, please, chapter 7. I'm not sure we'll get through all the message here this morning. I took a little bit of time with that report, but that's okay. We can finish it next week, the Lord willing. The message this morning is entitled, The Dramatic Interlude. The wonderful thing about God's Word is it is very open and very clear about the last days, even though some of it is in allegorical, symbolic, metaphoric language. It is still very clear about what is going to happen. And we are seeing things happen as never before. I read uh, this week on Thursday, I saw the headlines. Maybe you saw it. The doomsday clock moved to 100 seconds to midnight. <laughs> that was the headlines. I'm not sure, CNN or something like that. And uh, I had to read it. I thought, man, isn't that something? Well, it goes on to say that uh, this... Um, President and CEO of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists said during a recent press conference that um, every year, I guess, they uh, have a doomsday clock, and uh, since they've been doing it since 1950-something, 1953, and it is a symbolic point of how close we are to a worldwide apocalypse. So we're not uh, hours away. We are just minutes away. And over the last year, we've gotten a lot closer. And they base that on uh, climate situation, and they base that also on atomic weaponry. And so they said the situation is disturbing. In fact, they said we are in an emergency. Doomsday clock, they say. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It, is not long, it won't be long before we're going to hear the shout, the voice of the archangel. Matthew 25, verse 6 says, Behold, the bridegroom cometh go out to meet him. In fact, folks, it's getting so close. I'm saying that we need to stop looking for signs and start listening for the shouts because the, the Lord is coming soon. And what an incredible privilege we have as believers. We don't have to wring our hands and worry. I mean, we can be concerned about things that are going on, but the fact of the matter is we know what's happening. We know that People say there's going to be a climate change, and we say, boy, you don't have any idea what kind of climate change. It is going to be a climate change. And the neat thing about prophecy is it is pre-written history. And so here we are. We are reading about future things as if it has already happened. And in fact, it is going to happen. There's uh, so many times in Scripture where things have uh, come to be exactly as Scripture says, now tonight, or excuse me, this morning, we are going to come into something called a dramatic interlude. Now, it's hard to maybe remember a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we, uh, in chapter 6, we opened up this scroll, and it is a symbolic language, and Jesus is uh, the only one who has the right to open it up because He has been given the title deed to the uh, future. And so this scroll that has seven seals on it, and open up a seal, read a little more, open up a seal. Each seal had a different judgment. And now after the sixth, there's a little pause because as we're going to begin in chapter eight, a whole new uh, wave of the just justice of God uh, in this world. But today, a little uh, reprieve, a little interlude, and God just stops and remembers mercy in the midst of all this judgment. We're going to uh, 
contrast the absolute panic of the pagan world who are attempting to flee the judgment of God, however futile, with the righteous, beautiful, caring God who cares for His people. And so that's what we're going to look out today. Let's all bow our heads for a prayer. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for the opportunity we have to be here. And Lord, I just pray you just give us Your wisdom. Help me to say everything I need to say. And Lord, if I need to slow down, if I need to back up, Lord, if we need to speed ahead, Lord, just let us, let us know. And Father, we'll just uh, believe Your Word. We'll trust Your Word. Thank You for not leaving us in the dark. I pray You'll bless each one. Lord, I pray you give a spirit of understanding to each one. I pray the Lord you give me an anointing on my lips. I pray for an anointing on my mind and an anointing on everyone's ears. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if I get a little bit mixed up as we're going through here, uh, forgive me. I have no idea what time zone I'm in. We got in last night at 10 o'clock, so, uh, uh, but we're making it. I've been up uh, since early this morning trying to get my head back together. Now, the Bible calls the church salt. He calls God's people light. One of the benefits of uh, salt, not only does it make your food taste better, but salt uh, preserves and it prevents corruption. And so that's why when the church leaves this earth, Revelation chapter 4, it says the church is gone. So now we begin this new period of time in the earth's history. When the church is gone, if you think it's corrupt now, and there's, boy, there's a lot of corruption, I'll tell you. And if you think it's corrupt now, just imagine when the Holy Spirit, His uh, presence through the church is gone. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not going to function, as we'll see in a few moments, but His presence in the church is gone. And uh, Boy, I'm telling you, corruption just uh, expands greatly. Now, before we go on to see the judgment that God brings on this earth, we're going to have a little parentheses. Now, there is no possible way to spend the time to go through every detail of the book of Revelation doing it the way I would like to do it, because we're taking a few first a few weeks uh, of each year, and it'll take about uh, five years or so to go through it. And a good way to start the new year, kind of get our minds on the Lord, is kind of what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. But with that uh, idea in mind, if we went verse by verse, two or three verses at a time, it would take uh, me until I'm 90 to get this done. And I'm not sure that I'm up for that. So, um, so the plan is, we'll just go through it. If you don't understand something, just download the... Uh, the uh, the podcast. And uh, then there's other good ones that you can, folks that you can listen to. But let's go. And so kind of like sometimes when we visit a museum, I mean, there's just way too much material. You know, you just get this, you get that. So just take pictures, go back home and study later, you know, and uh, that's kind of what we're talking about today. We may raise some questions. If you have some, make sure you ask me or email me, but um, let's go through it. Verse number one, after these things... I saw four angels. Who saw it? Well, that's the Apostle John. He is now, you remember now, he's uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Here he is on this island. And uh, God privileges him with this God-given dream. Not the kind of dreams we get when we've eaten too much uh, pizza, but a real uh, dream. And he sees four angels. Now, angels are 
wonderful ministers. They are given by God to announce things. They're given by God to encourage believers. They ministered to Jesus, for example, on His night before He was crucified. They are ministering saints. They are powerful. They never sleep. They're very smart. Uh, Angels are created beings who are God's messengers. They're God's servants and helpers. And so here we find these angels. Now, don't sentimentalize angels. They're not little people. They're not little children who die or beloved ones that we have who are just angels. And even though uh, someone might be an angel to us, the fact is they're not people. They are ministers. During the tribulation, angelic ministry is ramped up. Now, the fact is they're busy now. And all you have to do is read the scriptures, and the Bible talks about sometimes when we begin to uh, see angels. And in one place, in fact, uh, the apostle said, be careful what you do, because you might be entertaining an angel unaware. And so uh, the, the fact is, angels are very real, and they minister in our world today. We just don't see them, uh, or at least we don't know that we see them. Here, they, they are, it's a ramped up ministry. And so during the tribulation period, we see them uh, a lot. It says these four angels are standing. Now, that word standing is actually past tense, so it means they have stood. And the fact is, they have already stood. They have been standing, holding back the judgment of God, even though it's already a lot of just judgment, a lot of seals have opened up. This is during the, perhaps the first half of the tribulation when it's not as uh, big and it's not as intense as it might be at a later time. And so it says they are standing. In my mind's eye, I think of our faithful ushers who are standing there, always on duty. And so it says they're standing, ready to do what God wants them to do. It says they are on the four corners of the earth. Now, this is one of those places where people who are God deniers and people who are Bible critics will say, ah, look at that. Look how unscientific the Bible is four corners of the earth. Everybody knows the earth is round. And uh, I just learned something this, year, this week that actually the earth, earth isn't exactly round. It's actually kind of more spheroidal uh, with the north and south poles kind of squishing the earth in. And, but uh, it basically is round. But you know the interesting thing about that, the Bible is not a scientific book. I mean, it's, it doesn't claim to be. But the fact is, whenever the Bible does speak on science, it is the most accurate word you'll ever get on science. And for example, back in way at whenever when, uh, the secular scientists of the day said that the earth was flat. The best scientists of the day said the earth was flat. But God's Word always said it was round. The prophets in the Old Testament said God sits on the circle of the earth. And so the fact is God's Word is always accurate, whether it be on history, medicine, or science. You say, well, how could... This doesn't sound... Uh, Uh, accurate then to have four corners on an earth. Well, I've actually read that there actually are four corners. Um, In some people's minds, scientists have said north, south, and there's two particular quadrants that they could actually say there are four corners on the earth. But even if that's not the case, my guess is this is just an idiom. It's just saying from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They are 
holding back this judgment so that something can happen, this event can take place. That's all that's happening here. All right, let's divide up this um, chapter. Verses 1 through 3, we find the suppressing of the winds of judgment. Verse number 1, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So the first question we would ask ourselves is, is this a literal or is this symbolic wind? Well, I would say probably yes and yes. <laughs> I would say probably is literal, but I think it's probably more likely it is also symbolic. And that happens a lot in Scripture. In fact, a lot of the prophecies in Scripture are not only for the now, but they're for the future. All you have to do is read a lot of the Old Testament prophets, and God was telling a prophet Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen in 70 years, but the language is so grandiose, the, uh, the things that are spoken there are so um, futuristic that, in fact, God's talking about the millennium. And so, here I think that, in fact, uh, probably is winds. And, uh, you know, can you imagine what would happen if the wind just stopped? I mean, we, uh, the different places we went to, some places were just so windy all the time. But the wind actually has a, a very uh, important part of the earth and our creation. But I think probably it's more likely that it is a metaphor for judgment. Now, let me just take a point here to, to, to talk about uh, here at the home church. We are a conservative church. Uh, some call, categorize us an evangelical church. Uh, both uh, good things to say. What I will say is for sure we are literalists. That is, we take the Bible literally, and so uh, unless there's some reason not to. In fact, uh, the basic rule of interpretation, which is called hermeneutics, is that if it makes sense, don't make any other sense. If it says there were four angels, there were four angels. <laughs> if it says, you know, there's 100,000 people, then there was 100,000 people. If it says a 1,000 years, then it's a 1,000 years. Now, sometimes, however, it's pretty clear that it's an allegory. You'd say, well, what do we do when it's an allegory? Do we believe symbolically or do we believe literally? Well, the fact is we, uh, we take the symbolism and what it represents, and then we literally believe it. And so that's the way we, we answer that. But the Bible is often uh, indicates that uh, wind is judgment. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. The Holy Spirit is often called wind in the Bible. In, on the day of Pentecost, it was a wind that came in. And so the Holy Spirit, who is the agent of judgment as well as the agent of blessing, He is in charge of this wind. You may recall in Genesis chapter 41 in Pharaoh's dream, that the Bible says that the judgment came for seven years of famine and locusts. And in each case, the judgment came in by a wind, and the locusts brought in, were brought in by a wind. And so wind is often an uh, idea of judgment. In Exodus chapter 14, the same wind, you remember, uh, blew the east wind. And by the way, most, uh, most judgment winds come from the east. And interesting that Jesus will come in the eastern gate, and uh, with him bringing salvation as well as final judgment. But in Exodus chapter 14, the east wind came 
and it divided the sea. It uh, brought, uh, uh, a, it made the land so they could walk by. But the Bible often uh, associates uh, judgment and deliverance with wind. In Psalm 48 and verse 7, thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. In Proverbs verse 1 and verse 27, the Bible talks about those who won't receive the Bible. He says, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. And so then, what's going to happen here? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7 that the wind of God's judgment is about ready to come. But before it comes, God's got something He needs to do first. And He's got two groups of people that He's going to deal with here. And uh, I do also want to make a point that God says here He is going to, uh, he is going to bring judgment on this earth and you know, uh, this earth is uh, something that people often worship. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, it says, Who changes the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Each year, it seems like it gets worse. We have the left-leaning environmentalists, save-the-earth people, who constantly want to remind us we need to save the earth. Well, friends, the best way to save this earth is to, to give out the gospel. Because the fact is, this earth is going to burn up. The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, obviously, we're supposed to be good stewards. We're not supposed to, uh, on purpose, destroy the earth. But the fact is, folks, we are not, as it says here in Romans 1, to worship the creature more than the Creator. And by the way, let me just point out, uh, don't say, just get out of your vocabulary the words Mother Nature. There's no such thing. By the way, that's a pagan reference. Just get it out of your reference. It is creation. Always call it creation. Just get the word nature out, even though it's not a bad word, not even a bad concept. But I try to always use the word creation. Whoever I'm talking to, isn't God's creation amazing? Isn't this creation great? Isn't, isn't what God has done here wonderful? Just keep saying that. Always use the word creation. Give God the glory. It, there, I'll tell you one thing, folks. We have a problem in the world today where people love the hummingbird rather than the God of the hummingbird. We love the owls rather than the God who made the owls. And so here, it, is it doesn't make, uh, it's not a surprise to me that God is going to judge the earth. He's going to judge it where people have put their faith in this creation in this nature. Verse number two, and so the angel, now I saw another angel ascending from the east. As I mentioned earlier, often these winds come from the east, and so this angel comes from the east, having the seal of the living God, the seal of the living God. So in their hands, they have this stamp, kind of like a signet ring. And uh, some of you... I know sometimes we get these wedding invitations nowadays, they're beautiful, and they have sealed them with wax, and they take a little seal. Well, that's actually used to be a very proper thing to do, and royalty would have their own seal. And so these angels have this seal, and then they will stamp it, and they are going to stamp, uh, and uh, they're going to stamp this mark, and here it says the seal of God. Notice what it says. It's gonna, uh, they're going to put this seal. They have the seal of the living God. By the way, aren't you glad we serve a living God? A 
living God, not a dead idol. One of the uh, persons I met there in the Philippines, this poor lady was so deceived that when she visited Canada, and when she went to Canada, she made sure she put her idol in her suitcase and took her idol with her to, to Canada just to make sure she'd stay safe. And uh, folks, people are crazy in this world. We serve a living God, not some dead uh, uh, idol here. But uh, notice it says they have a seal on them. They're going to have a seal. It is a mark of God's ownership. Oftentimes, a slave in the ancient world would actually even have a tattoo on them, um, a tattoo that would be a mark of their ownership. And uh, you say, well, are we going to get a tattoo? Well, uh, let's read a little bit further here. But uh, notice what it says, these angels, it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. They were given to be able to hurt. Now, they're going to put the hurt on this earth. <laughs> these angels who are, have the seal in their hand, this signet of God, this mark of ownership, they're going to put the, the, the hurt on this world. But before they do that, they're going to seal some people, make sure that they're safe Make sure that they're protected. Make sure that everything's okay before the judgment rains down. The suppressing of the winds of God, verse number three, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Folks, the earth and the tree and the seas, uh, these are very important parts of God's creation, and it's very important that uh, they are taken care of. Verse number now we have the second part of our line. First of all, the suppressing of the winds of judgment. Number two, the sealing of the servants of God. The sealing. Verse number four, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. Now, if Scripture is clear about anything, it is clear about this fact, that God loves Israel. And I will tell you, you hurt Israel at your own peril. Thank God for America. We still are standing with the only democratic nation in all of the Middle East, Israel. And we are standing with them. And the strange thing is, Israel today has rejected Jesus. And yet God has not rejected them. In fact, it's very clear God is going to save Israel. And notice what it says. God is going to save them in such a powerful way. 144,000 of them are going to get saved. Now, we have no idea, we're not told when these 144,000 come to Christ, when they get born again, when they accept Christ as their Savior. All we do know is it's after the rapture, because everybody who was saved at the rapture will go to heaven. This concept of a partial rapture where only the holy go, and then if you're not holy, but maybe you Get back up holy, you get to, you know, go later. No, there's no such thing as a partial rapture. If that was the case, then the, there'd be only a partial bride. No, the, the, the whole bride of Christ goes to be at the rapture. So the Bible says that uh, these uh, Jewish people, 144,000 of them are going to get saved, born again. And as we're going to see here, they are going to be flaming evangelists. Now there, can you only imagine what would happen when 144,000 on fire, sealed by the Holy Spirit, Jewish people with all their abilities, they seem like they're always so successful, are out there winning souls. 
It is estimated that in the world today, there's about 50, 60,000 missionaries. That's all. 50 or 60,000 missionaries, foreign missionaries. Imagine then what's going to happen during the tribulation period when 144,000 of them, plus two witnesses, plus an angel, we're told in another chapter, preaching in the everlasting gospel. Now, what does it say they're going to do? It says they were going to seal them. Verse number four, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. 144,000. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. But God now, and it almost seems redundant, but God is going to talk about each tribe. Verse 5, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Now, one of the interesting things about the listing of the tribes, every time they're listed, they're listed different. It's interesting. Sometimes they're listed by birth order. Sometimes they're listed by how they are arranged around the tabernacle. Uh, The different families, camps were arranged. Sometimes certain, a certain name will be left off, and other times another name will be left out. In this case, Judah is listed first, although he's not the oldest, Reuben is, but Judah is listed first. Judah is that lion of the tribe of Judah. You could find a case for why God makes a list like he does, and by the way, as a reminder, again, all the names mean something, and so when God gives a name here, it's important, you could just read it, but the tribe of Judah was sealed 12,000. You'd say, well, I thought the tribes of Israel were all lost. I didn't think there, you knew who was uh, from uh, Manasseh or who was from Judah or who was from Benjamin, who was from Dan or uh, Naphtali. We may not know, but God knows. And there's no way, God, God says He's going to tell them who they are. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000, verse 6. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Now remember now, he, uh, God uh, uh, took uh, Joseph and divided it into uh, two there, uh, uh, Manassas and Ephraim. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. A lot of times Levi doesn't even get mentioned because Levi was never given land. But here in this, uh, to make up 12, God lists uh, Levi, of the tribe of Issachar, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, were sealed 12,000. And of the tribe of little Benjamin, the left-handed people, were sealed 12,000. And so, here he is, these angels. Now remember, these angels are holding back the winds so that this dramatic intermission can take place. God's about ready to open that seventh seal. And I'm telling you, all the, the judgment is going to just break out on this earth. But before that, God is going to seal His people. And so we find the first group in this chapter, and that are Jewish people. Now, folks, it is hard to find even one born-again Jewish person today. I mean, honestly, it's, it's hard. They're around, thank the Lord, but they're, it's very challenging, let alone 12,000 from each tribe sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, the sealing, what is it? Is it, a, is it just a tattoo on the head that says we're God's? Well, it's possible in one degree, because you remember that Satan also has his mark. The Bible says he marks it on their head and on their hand. And so maybe uh, when these people don't take the mark of Satan, the Antichrist, God marks them. It's interesting, back in the Old Testament, 
they took the they took their doorpost and they marked them. They put a mark on the top so that the angel would go over their house. Here we find them marking the top of your doorpost. That's a pretty good idea for our head, huh? About hard as a rock, hard as a piece of wood. And uh, there we're going to be marked with the name Jehovah. I'm not sure. But I really get a sense it's not actual mark because actual word uh, forehead here means mind. It's kind of on the mind. So I think the idea is that there is this sealing of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Joel chapter 2 says, that I'm going to pour out my Spirit in the last days. In the last days. Now this was the scripture that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. But what happened on the day of Pentecost was just a tiny bit of what was going to happen. That wasn't all the filling of the Holy Spirit. That was just a tiny bit. This sealing, this pouring out on my sons and my daughters and old men are going to see visions and dream dreams, all the different things. That's what's going to happen during the hundred, uh, when in the tribulation period. Now we have, a, so my guess is this, 144,000 Jewish people filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do they need to be filled? Because they need power when they speak to people that people's heart just burn within them. They need also protection. I mean, to tell you folks, there's so much going on. In fact, we find in one of the chapters there, all these souls under the altar beheaded. Isn't it interesting how that today in the Middle East, beheadings are taking place? I mean, that wasn't a part of history for 2,000 years. I mean, people didn't do that over the last thousand years or so. And now, all of a sudden, in this modern world we live in, they're starting to do beheadings again. And that's exactly what the book of Revelation says, that people are going to be beheaded. So these 144,000 spirit-filled evangelists, they need the power of God. They need the protection of God. And so God protects them He uh, with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, why are there 144,000? Well, we, we need to know that uh, that is a very unique number. <laughs> I mean, you can't read that without saying, okay, what's the deal? Why 144,000? Well, I would tell you, first of all, uh, this 144,000 is probably the most abused number outside of 1,000 in the book of Revelation. The Jehovah's Witnesses have claimed that for years they claimed that uh, there was 144,000 that were going to go to heaven. Everybody else was on this earth. The Mormons have talked about this 144,000. Our friends, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, have said that they're the people who believe in the second coming uh, is 144,000. There's all kinds of people that have said what the 144,000 is, but I, I think we ought to go to Scripture, not what uh, some person says, and Scripture is very clear. They were Jewish people. That's as simple as that. They were Jewish people. They get born again sometime in the first half of the tribulation period. And then they are so on fire for God that God puts the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, and it becomes evident with a seal. I mean, their ministry is attended with power and with conversions and with great uh, protection, and they are witnessing everywhere. Because God needs them to win people to Christ, He protects them. And so they are there, 144,000. Now, 
here is what some have uh, said, and uh, I've, uh, I've studied it and studied it. I'll give you what uh, great scholars, conservative Bible scholars have said, and uh, maybe it'll ring a truth with you. Four is the number of earth, earth, uh, north, south, east, and west. Three is the divine number. So you have four, three, four times three, meaning this is a, a tremendous multiplying of uh, judgment and justice. Earth and heaven showing a connection. Twelve, twelve being the governmental number in Scripture. Twelve uh, tribes, twelve apostles. And so, uh, three, the number of God, four, the number of earth. Heaven and earth are coming together in a... And so, the government of God is coming to earth. Twelve apostles, twelve tribes. This is the government of God on earth. Why 144? Because twelve, meaning the government of God, times twelve, meaning God is multiplying His kingdom on this earth. He is just intensifying what He's doing. And so, uh, that's what's going to happen in this last day. What an amazing thing how God brings His great power to be and bearing to be, and God uh, helps these precious Jewish people. Uh, I was, uh, if you're ever talking to a Jewish person, and uh, they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, uh, you know, I invite them to church or talk to them, and they go, I'm Jewish. Say, say, boy, that is awesome. Did you know my best friend is Jewish? I say, really, your best friend is Jewish? Yep, absolutely. His name is Jesus, and uh, he's a Jewish carpenter, and uh, that's my best friend. Uh, that's uh, when we, this w- world is made of people of so many different types, but folks, we need to keep our eyes on Jerusalem and keep a heart of mercy and love towards Israel because God is not finished with Israel. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.